0: Hey friends, good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm 20, open up your Bibles there. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kenson, I serve as the pastor of our Bridgeport church, one of the sister churches here at Park. Grateful to serve you all this morning and also welcome to the Crew family and also grateful to hear about this adoption foster care journey. Uh, If I could just encourage you, if God has given you the means to be able to potentially do this, you should definitely be praying for this. Every believer should have a clear answer on whether or not God has called you towards adoption or foster care or safe families because it's probably one of the most powerful ways to demonstrate the gospel. And if you don't have the means or in the season of life to do that, you can still come Alongside of people who are in that journey, by you know bringing them meals, you know doing some babysitting, you know all that stuff. No parents ever going to say no to babysitting. Okay, so to offer that they'll be more than glad to do that. And also, I want to encourage you guys. I love the board here at Bridgeport. We also have this board, and we've got a long ways to go. So I love seeing all the action up here. Uh, I did not pay attention to the color, so this is not a conversion card per se. But I'm also doing my part with the 100 days. And what I wrote here is that I had dinner with Melder and Fernando and heard their story and also also had a chance to share our story. These are just some friends that we made at the local park district, and we took them out for dinner to get to know them. So I want to keep encouraging. you. We're about halfway through the 100 days. Keep going after this, you know. Once again, not for ourselves. Once again, we write the cards to encourage one another, but also to give God all the glory for what he's doing across the city and in our church. So Psalm chapter 20, let me read our verses, and then we're going to jump right in, all right? Psalm chapter 20, and it goes like this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans, May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with his saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God you know I grew up right down the block from a fire station and our neighborhood park was actually right across the fire station so growing up for like 10 15 years you know I would often see the firefighters hanging out you know and see them in action and what I would always love seeing is that whenever the fire alarm would go off you would see the firefighters jump right into action and literally like within a minute they are driving out of the station in, in, in the fire truck the response time was amazing and they drove out because some someone was in need someone was in danger of losing their home their life their family possibly everything that the firefighters are trained to save lives they go into accidents they go into drownings they go into heart attacks they go into all these different types of situations and they do so because someone has called for help if we're ever in a situation like this we only ever have to dial three numbers and we know what that is right 911, we call this number and help comes. Did you know that in the same way that when we're in trouble, we can call to God for help and He will answer us? You know, our psalm today is one where King David is about to go into battle. Now, historically, we don't know who the enemy is or when and where this happened. David was in a lot of battles, okay, plenty of of them. But we do know in the context uh, context of this psalm, he is going into a fight. He's going into a war. In verse 1, it says this, This is the day of trouble. May God protect you. Verse 5, we lift up our banners. These are victory banners after a battle. Verse 7, don't trust in chariots and horses. These are weapons of war. So the context is clear. King David is about to go to battle, and in response, the people of God pray for their king. That as David is about to face an earthly battle, the people of God understood it to be a deeply spiritual event. This is why they pray. In verse 7, even though the battle is on earth, God answers from heaven. You know, this is a reminder for all of us here that we all live within two realities. That we have a physical one that is seen and a spiritual one that is unseen. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says in Ephesians 6, he tells us to put on the spiritual armor of God every single day because we are in a war. Ephesians 6 says this, let me show it to you. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against but, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Behind every physical reality and situation and circumstances is a spiritual reality. You know, in James chapter 5... The elders are told from the church to pray for those who are sick. And one of the reasons why someone might be sick is because of unconfessed. Sin, okay? Now I'm going to make myself vulnerable here, okay? So I sprained my ankle about three weeks ago playing volleyball, okay? Now if you guys notice here, and you guys might not be able to see this, but I'm wearing two gray socks, but they're not the same because this is a dress sock and this is a compression sock, okay? So now, now you know what's going on here, okay? So this is how I dressed here for today. Now when that happened playing volleyball, there's a physical reality. What's the physical reality? I jumped up and I landed on someone's foot and I sprained my ankle, Physical, what is seen, what everybody knows. But I also know that there is a deep spiritual reality. That I know that God allowed this to happen because I was having a very sour attitude on the volleyball court that I had a bad attitude, I was yelling at people, and God's like, hey, if you're not going to quit it, I'm going to make you quit. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the reason I did that, the reason I know that is because I stepped back and I took a moment to realize, like, God, like, why did this happen? Right, heading right into the summer. And it's because, again, I was being a bad Christian witness. I had its sin to confess. You guys see this? Behind every physical reality, every earthly battle that you face in life is a deeply spiritual event. The people of God knew that they were going into battle, so they prayed. Because they knew that if victory was going to happen, it would only happen if God would give it to them. Friends, did you realize that all the trials and struggles and crisis and anxiety and worries that you deal with are not primarily an external issue, but it's deeply spiritual. So let me ask you, who do you call for help in the face of your battles? You know, with that? Here are the three points that I want us to work through today you know, for this message. And here's the question that we're going to try to answer. How should we pray in the midst of our battles? First is this, pray relationally not transactionally, okay? Transactionally is not a word. College students do not use that, okay? You're you're gonna fail, okay? That is not a word, but it had to sound nice, okay? Second, pray in the name of the Lord, not not in the name of me. And then finally, pray trusting in the who, not in the means, okay? So first, pray relationally, not transactionally, okay? Verses one and three again. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offerings. Selah. Now, on the eve of battle, look at how the people of God appeal to their God. They call him Lord, capital L O R D, which is the covenant-keeping name of God. They also call him the God of Jacob, the God of our forefathers. They also pray and, and are they are appealing to him as the children of God. Do you notice that they're saying that we belong to you, we are in covenant with you. You are Yahweh, and it also says there that they are giving burnt sacrifices. This was an act of concentra- con- con- uh, consecration of, of oneself. Before the Lord, that as the Lord is holy, you desired to be holy. That these were people who were trying to set themselves apart for God and for His purposes alone. This is why the people of God prayed so confidently on the eve of battle It's because they knew who their God was and who they were, that God, you are the one true God, and we are your people, so answer us. We belong to you. In verse 1, it says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Then notice that God is not distant from the troubles. He's not a conflict avoider. He's not naive to our condition, but he loves us, and he helps And 2,000 years ago, we know this because God sent Jesus. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray. And the first word, the very first word he teaches us to say is, Father, hallowed be your name. When you pray to God, know that he is your father. He is your good father. And just like any good father who sees his children in danger, he will step in to help. You know, over the last few weeks here, I've taken my kids to 31st Street Beach, like at least two to three times a week, you know, and my young kids, they always think that they can handle Lake Michigan, okay? They always think, that this is no big deal, we can handle this. So they try to go deeper and deeper into the water, and then they get smacked by six inches of wave, okay? And they start screaming, like, ah, you know, like, you know my, my life is about to end, and when they cry out for help, they don't first call out to, lifeguard, save me, okay? They don't do that. Or they don't call out saying, hey, complete stranger, hey, different mom, come and save me. No, they don't do that either. Do you know what they say? They say, baba, help. Why? Because I'm their baba. They know that I'm their father and that they belong to me. That I've promised my life to love and care for them. And they see it every single day in their lives. When we pray, we can pray with confidence because he is our God. We are his people. We pray from a place of relationship. But this is the problem. Some of us don't pray from a place of relationship, but prayer has become more of a transaction. Look at verse 3 here. It's kind of nuanced here. Verse 3 says, may he remember all your offerings. So we're talking about the king, king David here as he's making his sacrifices. And regard what favor your burnt sacrifices. Notice that their prayer is to say, God, we pray that God would accept the sacrifices, king. What is implied here is that there are some sacrifices God does not accept. There were sacrifices people would try to give, not because of a humble and grateful heart to God, but of a heart of pride, a religious heart, that God, I did my part, I did what you said, I made the sacrifice, now you owe me. Now we're good here, right? We oftentimes carry this same heart into prayer all the time. That we don't pray out of deep communion with God, but we pray as consumers. And when we do this, we completely reverse roles with God. That instead of God being sovereign and us being the servants, God is the servant and we're in control. This is why some of us pray so infrequently because we only see prayer as a business transaction, that we only pray when we need something. So it's when the battle is on, when the trial has come, when the sickness has started, when the divorce papers come in, when you get let go from your job, now it's time to pray. I like to call these Hail Marys. Now, I'm not referring to the Catholic practice of reciting prayers but I'm using the term Hail Mary as we would in sports. So for example, it's that moment in in, in the football game where like you're like at the 50-yard line and there's like no time left on the clock. You're you're, you're basically one score away, like a little less than one score away. You know, you're behind the game. So what happens here is that in this situation here, you have only one play left to try to score and win the game and you're too far away. So you line up all your players, all your receivers, right? The quarterback stands back here, says hike, takes a few steps backs, closes their eyes, and basically just chucks the ball as far as possible into the end zone, hoping against all hopes that someone is going to catch the ball. That is a Hail Mary in sports. It's when you run out of options and this is your last ditch effort for help. This is a kind of faithless prayer. Now, I'm not saying that we, that we shouldn't pray when you're in your darkest and worst spot in your life. I'm not saying that at all. You must pray. Just like this psalm here, they're about to face battle so that people pray. Prayers of desperation are not bad. This is the problem. It's when we pray only when we are desperate. These are transactional prayers, not relational prayers. If we want to have confidence that God will answer us in the face of our battles, pray relationally, not transactionally. Come to him as your father. That we need to come to him not on the basis of our goodness, but on the basis of of his goodness in Christ. We need to come to him not because we've run out of options. We come to him because we recognize that he is our only option. If you want to have confidence in your battles, Pray relationally. Here's the second point. How should we pray in the midst of our battles? Pray in the name of the Lord, Lord, not in the name of me. Uh, Verse 4 and 5. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now, there's two things happening here. First, I want you to notice this. When the people of God pray, they're praying that God would give everything that King David is asking for. May God grant your heart's desire. May God fulfill all your plans. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions of victory on the battlefield. May God give you everything you ask for. Now, this is very bold, and it almost can sound a little bit presumptuous to do this, But then notice, okay, notice in verse 5, they also say this, may we shout for joy over your salvation. Notice that it doesn't say shout for joy over David's victory, over David's triumph, over David's success. It is saying over David's salvation that we want to shout over how God saves David. In other words, King David... We don't have a lot of faith in you bringing victory but we can't wait to see how God saves you from this. Notice that in verse 5 that on the victory banners it's not the name of David it's the Lord's name. This is what's happening in this prayer here. They are on one hand saying may God fulfill all the petitions of King David And may God be glorified in all of it. The reason the people of God were able to pray so confidently in the face of battle, the reason that they can say so boldly, may God give you your heart's desire, is because the king's desire, the people's desire, was for God's glory alone. And when we pray like this, that God would answer for his name's sake and not for our name's sake, we can expect God to answer. You know, John chapter 14 says this. Let me show it to you. It says this, whatever you ask in my name, this is Christ here, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let me just say, a lot of people like taking verses out of context to make them say whatever they want to say. People love a verse like this. They don't love the whole verse, but they love that last sentence, right? That if I call in the name of the Lord, he will answer it. Yeah, right? God's on the hook to answer my prayers. No, 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 no. Just read the sentence right before it. What's the context of this? It's when the sun is glorified. You better believe God will answer it. Anytime you pray for the Son to be glorified, God says yes and amen to that. This is why God answers David's petitions, okay? It's because David's will is aligned with God's will. And we actually know that God did answer this prayer because Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 are actually a pair. They belong together. Psalm 20 is actually the prayer and Psalm 20 is after the battle. And now it's the victory psalm of of, of this battle, okay? So we know that God answers it. And once again, it's because David's will is aligned to God's will. And when your will is aligned, with God's, there is no prayer that God won't answer. Now, I want to be very careful here, okay, because this can sound like if I pray and God doesn't answer my prayer, I'm being sinful and disobedient, okay? No, okay, that is not the case at all. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is about to face the cross and he's been pushed to the limit. He prays that God would allow the cup of God's wrath to pass, but God doesn't do it. Now, does this mean that God didn't love Jesus or that Jesus was being sinful? No, not at all. But what it did mean is that God's plans were different. And when God didn't answer it, Jesus didn't resent God. Jesus didn't get angry with God. But with the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. they remember that right after Jesus prayed that the cup would pass, he immediately says, not my will, but your will be done. That even in his most vulnerable state, Jesus' first priority was to align his will with God's. That whatever our agenda is, nothing is more important than God's. God's will, that as we get on our knees, as we are crying, as we are pouring our hearts to God, it is essential that we pray in that prayer that God, no matter how urgent or important as these things seem to me, they pale in comparison to the urgency and importance of your will. That is my first priority. These are the prayers that honor God, that worship God, that whenever our desire is to see God glorified, we can pray confidently for God to answer in our battles. You know, this reminds me a bit of the battle between David and Goliath. You know, if you guys are familiar with the story, Goliath was this giant of a man who is the warrior and champion of the Philistines. And for 40 days he would come out and he would just mock God, mock King Saul, mock the Israelite army. And even with so much disrespect for God, everyone from the Israelite army was too scared to fight Goliath. Until one day, this little shepherd boy called David comes to the battlefield to bring some to bring lunch for his brothers. And when David goes out there, he hears Goliath mocking God. And David's like, who's this chump here who's saying all this about God? Oh, it's Goliath. You know, get out of here, David. You don't know anything here. Get out of here. David's like, no, I'm going to fight that guy. I'm going to fight him. So David fights Goliath. He gets a slingshot and five stones, and this is what he said to Goliath. Let me show it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Then David said... To this Philistine, Goliath, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, The 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 day of the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give you the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Notice that the reason David goes to battle and kills Goliath is not because he saw an opportunity for promotion or an opportunity for recognition or an opportunity to capture territory. He went to battle because God was being dishonored. That for David, this battle was a worship issue. In the same way, did you know That the battle you face is either an opportunity for God to be glorified or for God to be mocked through your faith and through your posture. What this means is that when we face our struggles, our troubles, our crisis, if we allow ourselves to be consumed with worry, or fear or selfishness, if we allow our eyes to be trapped on the horizontal, that does not bring glory to God. However, when we turn our eye our our eyes to God, if we pray, not my will, but your will be done, God will be glorified. Whether you God will be glorified, whether you answer me or not. God, I don't care what the answer is, God. I want you to bring glory because what is infinitely more important than my safety, than my security, than my agenda is for your glory alone and when you're able to pray like this in the middle of your battles you are not a consumer but you are now a worshiper the focal point to prayer is always on God prayer does not begin and end with the needs and wants of men and women but with the glory of God Prayer is not about building my empire, but his kingdom. Prayer is not about getting what I want, but doing his will. Prayer is not about elevating my name, but his name. So whatever battle that you are facing, whether it's a sickness, whether it's singleness, whether it's infertility, whether it's joblessness, whatever battle you're facing, your desire should be to wave the banner of the Lord's name over your life. And when you pray like that, you can pray confidently in your battles. And here's the final insight. Pray trusting in the who and not in the means. Verses 6 to 9 here. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. Anointed is actually where we get the word Messiah here, the anointed one. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Now, in these verses, we're reminded that not only do we have a loving God who hears our prayers like our Father, we get that in verse 1, that we cry for help and God hears it, but we also now see that we have a God who has strength and power. Verse 6, he sits in the heaven, the highest place of authority, and it's at his right hand. He is mighty to save. And anything before our God will collapse and fail, but those who trust in God will stand in victory. These verses are calling us to trust God in our battles. And this, if I can just say, is the greatest challenge that we face in prayer is that we're tempted to trust In other things. The psalmist confesses this in verse 7. Chariots and horses can be tempting to trust in. So don't do it. We will not trust in them. Now in the context of warfare, this is a big statement because chariots during war were like tanks. They were game changers in battle. And let me just show you a picture of of a chariot here, of, of what might have been going on here. Now back in ancient warfare, battles were fought on the ground, on the foot, hand to hand. So you would line up in these formations, right, and basically just kind of go like running into each other, right? This is how, this is how you would do it. But if you had a chariot, it would create all types of chaos. Because the chariots were used to basically run right through these formations. The chariots were faster than feet, so you were able to weave in and weave out of all of these things. And because of their size, they were basically just so daunting for for the other side of the enemies. Now also in the chariot, you would have two soldiers. One would drive, and another person would either have a long spear or arrow, so they could attack you from a distance. And this chariot was also a cart that had three sides, a front side and two to the side, which would also give soldiers additional protection and on the side of the chariot was also a quiver of arrows so he had plenty to fire at people with so would you just imagine that you're a foot soldier about to fight and you see this chariot coming right at you with a horse and a guy with a bow or arrow you knew you were in trouble so the psalmist is saying here is that hey we're tempted to do this that when you're about to face battle Instead of going to church to pray for confidence, it is so much easier to go out and to look to your army and to look to your fleet of chariots to give you confidence in battle. Like, yeah, I think I got this. I got all the chariots. The psalmists are saying, the people of God are saying, no, don't trust in these chariots. Trust in God for the victory. Or if I can say it this way, don't trust in the means of victory. Trust in the who, that we're constantly being pressured to trust in the means, right? The chariots, the arrows, the armies, whatever, for our salvation, and kind of like in our context here, right, we can be tempted to trust in money, trust in our diplomas, trust in our 401Ks, trust in our credit score, right? We trust in our jobs or kids to give us significance. We trust in our business business plans to bring growth. You know, we trust in the latest church growth strategy to bring more people into the church. We, we trust in the government or politicians or armies to make the world right in our eyes. You know, we, we trust in medicine or doctors to make us well. You know, we're tempted to trust in all these things to win our battles. And the psalmist says, don't trust in any of these things, that I have a greater, more dependable place to put put my trust in, and that's in the name of the Lord. And anytime we see the name of the Lord, it always refers to God's character and attributes. You know, for David, as he heads into battle, you know, it's not as though he doesn't have military strategy. He does have military strategy, and he does go in with horses. He does go in with armies. He does go in with chariots, okay? He goes into battle with them, but he knows That the battle is not ultimately won by chariots and horses, they are won by God. In the same way, doctors, business plans, money, 401ks, whatever, these in themselves are not wrong or sinful, it's only wrong and sinful when we make them our savior. You know, for example, I'm not sure if you guys knew this, but this past week we actually had an election, kind of a local election here for a lot of our officials here. Now, for for us as Christians, when we go to vote, it is not wrong for us to hope for great leadership. But we do not place our hope in these leaders. Now, if God, now if the people elect great leadership, we need it and God will use it. But even if the people elect poor leaders, it doesn't change the reality that the name of the Lord is greater. God calls us to trust him in our battles, that he's greater than any army, any illness, any shame, any guilt, any sin. He is greater. He is wiser. He is stronger. And it's when we trust him, we will not be devastated and defeated, but we will stand upright in victory. Friends, Are you trusting in chariots and horses today? Or are you trusting in the name of the Lord? When you put your hope and trust in temporary things, your security and confidence is also going to be temporary. Means are fallible, God is not. The first step in experiencing victory is to renounce any confidence we have in ourselves and to turn our confidence to the wisdom and strength of God alone. For David, the psalmist, the character and faithfulness of God is stronger than thousands of chariots and horses because he knew that salvation belongs to our Lord. Don't focus on the means, focus on the who. In Psalm 20, the subject of all the verbs is Yahweh. May Yahweh answer. May Yahweh protect. May Yahweh send you help. May Yahweh grant you support. May Yahweh accept. Yahweh give. Yahweh make. Yahweh grant. The Lord is the main actor of everything that on this earthly battle, God, who is from heaven, is in charge. So pray to him and trust in him. And I know, I know this, I know this, because I'm just like you guys, waiting is very hard. It's hard, because we get impatient, and sometimes we just don't like the path that God has us walking through. But those who wait on the Lord, once again in these verses, they will never be devastated, but will rise and stand upright. You know, Jesus Christ lived a life that exemplified a trust that was holy and completely on God. That Jesus did not live on bread alone, but on every word from the mouth of God. That Jesus never failed to serve his Father. That he entrusted himself completely to the hands of God, even if it meant enduring the cross for the sake of sinners like us. That his trust was so perfect and God-glorifying that before he gave his last breath, he said... It is finished. What is finished? Jesus trusting the will of his Father. And because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you want to know what it looks like to trust in the Lord in the face of your battles, we need to only look to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because Jesus trusts so perfectly, we can pray with confidence when we face our battles because Jesus now intercedes and mediates on our behalf in heaven. So God listens to us, he answers to us because he listens and answers to Jesus. Do you guys see this? We can face our battles... We can endure and experience salvation because every time we get on our knees and pray, we know that we do not face it alone. Our God and our Savior goes before us. Amen? Amen. Let me just read from Psalm 12 here. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord. That you would help give us the faith that we see so clearly in these verses. That God, the confidence and the boldness and the expectation to raise up those victory banners. God, these 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 were not things that came after a battle. It didn't come after the fact. Father, this all came before the battle even started. That before the battle even started, there was already prayers of trust and confidence, knowing that when we call to you for help, God, you will answer. Father, I know, Lord, in a room this size, that, God, that we are all dealing with all sorts of different things, that is weighing on us, that, Lord, it just feels like a battle, a constant battle. And for some, it's been going on for a very, very long time. Father, God, I pray, Lord, that you will lead us to prayer. They God that you would help us first, Lord, to pray relationally, to pray to you as our Father, to know that you love us and that you care for us in a deeply personal, relational way. God, would you protect our hearts from praying for our own namesake, for our own benefit, but God, to only pray for your glory alone. And Father, the only way that's going to happen is when we fully trust you no matter what happens. That, God, that you are more important than all things, that we trust in your character, we trust in your promises more than anything that we can see. So, Father, I pray that you would help do that in this church. That, God, that you would raise up people of faith, that raise up a people of prayer. That, Father, that as we go into whatever battles that are before us, that we go into God knowing that you lead the way. And, Father, it's in that we praise you. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen.